0: This, uh, this morning marks a, uh, well, a pretty special service because it is the kickoff of a month-long celebration of a Savior. Now, Kim just mentioned a bunch of things that we're going to be doing that we're really excited about. On Sundays, though, we're going to be talking about what we've called snapshots of a Savior. And we're looking at images of Jesus through the eyes of the Old Testament prophets. You might say these are pictures from the prophets, of who they believed the Christ would be, what marks the coming of the Christ and who he is. And uh, Kim already mentioned today, we're looking at Hosea. So if you have your notes, if you've printed them, you have them with you, I want you to take a look at this with me. Hosea chapter three, it reads, The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Lover, as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Verse 4. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without the ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in these last days. Now, as we begin to get into this, I know that some of you are gonna say this, this, is, this is bizarre. And I just wanna ask that you'd be patient because Hosea is gonna tell us some things about the Christ who is to come through a description of a messed up marriage. And one of the things that we're gonna discover as we, as we go through this together is that our relationship with God is like a marriage, that our relationship with God is like a bad marriage, And that God healed our marriage, and it cost him to do it. That's where we're going to go this morning. So, you ready? Let's get going. Write this first one down. I've already said them, if you could write this first one down, that our relationship with God is like a what? A marriage. Now, by the way, this is what the whole of Hosea is telling us. Notice, right here at the very beginning in verse 1, he says, Go and love a woman as I love the children of Israel. God says to Hosea, Hosea, you are married, and so am I married to my people. And by the way, this idea of marriage and God being married to his people is one of the main themes throughout the Hebrew scriptures. You find it in Jeremiah chapter two through four, really, if you just skim those chapters. Or you find it in Ezekiel chapter 16, or you find it all through the prophet Isaiah. And what God is repeatedly saying is, You can't understand me, and you can't really understand my love for you. And you can't really understand the dynamic of our relationship unless as a person, unless as a people, you begin to understand me as your bridegroom. Now, of course, you know and I know this is not the only metaphor about how God relates to us in the Bible. Uh, There are lots of metaphors. For example, there's the metaphor of how he is a shepherd and he relates to us as sheep. There is the metaphor of how he is a father that relates to us as children. You've got the king that relates to his subjects. But what this passage says is that God wants a relationship with us that is so intensely intimate, that is so binding, that God wants a relationship with us that is so enduring. That he says, it's not enough just that you would understand me as your king. It's not enough just that you would understand me as your shepherd or as your father. He says, in fact, people, you don't really know what our relationship is about unless you understand me as a husband. So let me give you some examples. If you look to Isaiah chapter 54, God speaks to Israel, his people, and you see what he says. He says, do not be afraid. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. And he says, the Lord will call you back as if you were a wife, deserted and distressed in spirit, like a wife who married young, only to be rejected. Or in Isaiah 62, it says at verse four, for the Lord will take delight in you as a young man marries a maiden, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Now, what does that mean? When I say that you you don't really understand your relationship that you're supposed to have with God unless you actually understand it as a marriage, what does Hosea mean by that? What does he mean? Well, I want to give you three quick reasons why that's true, and I want for you to write these down because these are so important. They're true of marriage, but they're also true of your relationship to God. Why? Number one, because you know that marriage is a relationship of absolute top priority. In other words, if you are married, then you know that your relationship with your spouse has to be the number one relationship, humanly speaking. There's nothing that can come before your marriage. There's no person that should come before your spouse. This is why Paul writes to husbands and says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And God says, if you give it that priority, if you give marriage that priority, your life is gonna be strong. Your marriage will be strong. But married people know this, listen. If your marriage is strong and everything else in your life is a mess it's amazing how you can handle that but if your marriage is weak and you're suffering listen everything else in your life might be fine but if your marriage is struggling your life is struggling why is that true it's because marriage sets the course for your life And so when God says you have to understand our relationship as a marriage, what he's saying is, is I'm the ultimate priority. And if you're right with me, it sets the course for your life. God looks at his people and he says, you can't know me as just an add on. I just can't be an extra in your life. I have to be the top priority of your life. This is why Jesus in the New Testament would look at his followers and he would say, if you want to be my follower or my disciple, you have to hate everyone else by comparison. Even your father and your mother, even your own wife and your children, your brothers and sister. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't even be my follower. Why? Because he's saying, I have to be top priority. To be my disciple, you have to let me chart the course for your whole life. Now, why do you understand your relationship with God as a marriage? Not just because a marriage is a relationship of top priority, but also because marriage is a relationship of particular intimacy. Just write that down. What do I mean by that? I mean, nobody knows, your sp- nobody knows you like your spouse does. You know that your relationship with your spouse, it's, it's the closest, it is the deepest, it's the most intimate of all relationships. The first reason is because of knowledge. It's a relationship in which you really can't hide stuff from each other. You really do learn everything about each other. You learn about your spouse, the, mo- in, the most intimate of details. Now listen to me. You can hide stuff from your parents about who you are. You know that's true. You can even hide stuff from your children you can hide stuff from your friends my goodness you can even hide stuff from yourself but nobody can see through your life like your spouse can i know that that's a frustration for a lot of married people but it's true when the song of songs says i am my lovers and my lover is mine what they mean is they know me but they also mean it's not just because you have the most intimate of knowledge it's because you're the most passionate about this relationship. Meaning when God says I want our relationship to be like a marriage, what he's trying to say is you, you just can't know me from afar. Friend, listen, God says it's, you can't just know me formally. God's saying we have to be close. I have to get into every nook and cranny of your life. In other words, our relationship is nothing if it's not personal. There has to be affection. Our relationship has to be exclusive. Why? Because we're married. We're married. See, why is our relationship with like a marriage? <laughs> because it's a relationship of top priority. Because it's a relationship of a particular kind of intimacy. What's Hosea trying to say? Third, it's like a marriage because the marriage relationship is one of life-changing potency. Just write that down. And that's really true because it's a marriage of priority because it's a marriage of intimacy it actually reprograms everything in your life and you know what I'm talking about guys you know your spouse will affect you like no one else will your self-value your sense of self-worth your whole self-view let me just give you an example if you were to come up to me today and you were to say to me, just as you know me as your pastor, if you were to come up and say, you know, Shane, you're a really kind person. Or if you came up to me and said, you know, you're really smart. Or Shane, you're really full of energy. You got lots of energy. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to feel good that you said that. And I'm going I'm to feel good. And that's going to be true that I'll feel good. But I'm also going to think to myself, have you fooled <laughs> I'm going to think, you got no idea. I fooled you because truth is, you have no idea how irritable I am. I've actually worked on my pastoral uh, disposition for many years. I mean, you have no idea how much I nap. You have no idea how much I struggle. But if my spouse comes who knows me better than anyone, and my spouse says, boy, you're the kindest man I've ever met. Or if my spouse says to me one day, you know, Shane, you're really smart. I'm gonna tell you, that that could change my life. Because she knows me so well, it really means something. If your spouse says you're ugly, if your spouse says you're stupid, if your spouse says whatever it is. Listen, everybody else in the world could tell you you're beautiful, but you'll still feel ugly. But if your spouse tells you well. you... Your spouse has that kind of power to affect you, to change you, to heal you, or to wound you. And God says we need that with him. Such deep love God is calling us to. Such potent affection. You know, guys, for those of you that have been a bridegroom, I remember my wedding day. My wife and I have been married about well, we're going on 26 years. And, and do you remember what that's like, this picture that God's evoking? Do you remember the moment in which the bridegroom was standing and waiting for his bride and she comes around the corner and turns and she starts toward him? And he sees her in all her dazzling radiance. How does he feel at that point? I mean, how did you feel? <laughs> his heart is pounding through his chest. I mean, this guy wants to promise her the world. He wants to lay his life down for her. Now, in this picture of Hosea, what God is saying is, he's saying, that's how I am with you. God's saying, friend, you've got to understand, I'm not just your king, and I'm not just your father, I'm not just your shepherd. He says, I'm your husband. That's the first thing that Hosea gives us. Our relationship with God is like a marriage but here's the second thing he says our relationship with god is like a bad marriage now what you see in this particular passage is hosea saying some things for example verse one of chapter three he said to me go again and love a woman but love a woman who was loved by another man and is an adulteress see here's what's happening What Hosea is referring to here in chapter one is the very beginning of the book when God does something with Hosea. So let me go back with you and give you the context. God says to Hosea in chapter one, verse two, go and take yourself an adulterous wife and take children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. Now, what God is saying is there is a woman here. Her name is Gomer. And he's saying, this woman is for you. And what I want you to know about this woman is, this woman is going to absolutely break your heart. She's going to betray you. She's going to be unfaithful to you. But he says, I want you to marry her anyway. Why? Well, he goes on to say, let's look at it. He says, marry her because the land is guilty, because the nation and the people are guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them. them. Now guys, what's going on? Why does God actually say this to Hosea? I need you to understand here. God is looking at Hosea, and he's saying, okay, Hosea, you're a prophet. And as a prophet, your job is to understand me. And as a prophet, your job is to know me and, and to communicate to people. And he says, here's the thing, Hosea. You don't understand what it's like what I have to go through to love human beings. He says to Hosea, Hosea, you don't understand sin. He says, Hosea, you don't understand my grace. He's saying, Hosea, you don't understand my nature, and you're not going to understand until you've been through or until you've experienced the person that you love most in the world that is absolutely going to betray you. And so we're told in chapter 1, I encourage you this week to go and read these chapters before we get to the next prophet next week. But if you go through and read in chapter 1, it says Hosea had two sons and a daughter. And the third child was named lo You know what it means? It means not my child, not mine. Why? Because immediately after they get married, Gomer begins to be unfaithful to him. And then she actually left him and moved in with her lover And then she went with other lovers. And then in chapter 2, she becomes a prostitute. And so you start to think, my goodness, how bad could it get? How much further could Gomer fall? But it actually gets worse. Because here in chapter 3, you see that she's for sale the chapter that we started with this morning, which likely means, commentators tell us, it means that she probably fell into debt, and because of her debt, she fell into slavery. How broken can it be? How miserable can she get and Hosea get? And there's Hosea's really bad marriage. And God says to you and to me and to his people, he says, now that's an image Of what my relationship with human beings is like. He says to Hosea, love a woman who is loved by another man. And is an adulteress. Even though the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and they love, what does it say? (laughs) Cakes of raisin. The cakes of raisin. Now, what were the cakes of raisin? The cakes of raisin were delicacies that were served at feast to other idols. And what God is saying there is, your bad marriage, your betrayal, your wife that puts herself in the arms of other lovers, that's what happens when you worship other gods before me. And guys, it is so important that you and I get this. First, that he's telling us, listen, you don't understand the impact of sin on God until you get this image. You don't know how crushing it is toward God. Listen, think of all the other metaphors of God do his people. Think of a king that sees his citizen breaking a rule. How does that king feel? Well, the king feels angry. Or think of a shepherd and, and the sheep is strained from the shepherd. What does the shepherd think? Well, the shepherd thinks, oh, well, you know, that sheep... <laughs> Or you think of a father with a disobeying child and that makes him angry. But when you look at this image, when the person you love the most in your life that you've covenanted to is putting him or herself in the arms of another lover, now that's a whole different thing. And God is looking at his people and he's looking at you and he's saying until you understand that, you don't understand the impact of your sin. And then you read about Gomer in chapter 2, and you can see that, well, Gomer is out of control. Gomer is basically a sex addict, and she can't stop herself. See, when God says, we read it a few moments ago, you're like a bride who's gone away from me. It's an interesting language. It's an interesting phrase because you also see this. I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah 2 through 4. And I pulled some of the language out of Jeremiah so you can see what God means here. Here's what he says. He says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me, but you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. Verse 28, where then are the gods you've made for yourself? Let them come and save you when you're in trouble. Verse 32, does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments, Yet my people have forgotten me. Like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me. Return, faithless people. What are you doing? Look at this question. What are you doing, O devastated one? Why dress yourself in scarlet and put on jewels of gold? Why shade your eyes with paint? In other words, why are you putting in all these effort to go after other things? You adorn yourself in vain because... Look at what Jeremiah says. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life and you're giving it to them. Here's what God is saying. What does it mean to follow another God when something is more important in your life than God? Now friends, look at me. Modern day, today, when making money in your life is more important than God, when sex is, is more important than God. When your self image is more important than God, your drink, your entertainment, whatever it is, your food, when your family is more important than God, I don't know what it is, maybe it's a romance and that's more important than God. Do you understand? If that's true, then that's your real God. You are no longer serving God, you're serving an idol. You were in the arms of another lover. Gomer is so far gone because she's a sex addict. Do you know what sex addicts are like? It's a sex addict is somebody that has this inner emptiness and they have this sexual addiction and because of their inner emptiness, they're driven toward a false sense of intimacy and they're constantly giving themselves to sexual practices that doesn't satisfy and they do it and it feels good in a moment and then, and then they regret it and they give themselves to it again. And it's this drivenness, this emptiness on something that's never going to ultimately satisfy your life. And God has the audacity to say here, if you make anything more important than me, if you make your career more important than me, if you make a good cause more important than me, if you make your family more important than me or a romance, God says, you're doing the same thing with your soul that a sex addict does with their body. And the prophet says, you adorn yourself in vain. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life. Friend, it's a bad marriage. So, what do we do? How do we get out of this? Well, let me give you the third point and then we'll be done. And this is what Christmas is all about. If you'd write this down, number three, I've already mentioned it. But the Bible teaches that God healed our marriage, but it cost him a lot to do it. And before we look at how God did that, I want to first see how Zaya is told to do it, because you're going to see something in this. So take a look at with me. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves. Now, what God is saying here is, he's saying, look, Hosea, you have a thousand reasons for divorce, but don't. I want you to go get her anyway. Why? Because God is trying to show Hosea how his nature is. And then it says in verse two, he says, these great these four words, he says, so I bought her. Now, Do you know what this means commentators tell us that this is about the 8th century BC this is a time when the prophet Hosea and the prophet Amos would have been prophesying and speaking God's words and Israel had decayed spiritually and culturally they were like the other pagan nations around her they adopted the customs of the other nations. Therefore, Gomer at this point of her life would have been auctioned in a slave marketplace. They would have stripped Gomer naked or virtually naked because the bidders who were coming to get the people, they wanted to see what they're going to get. And so she's up for sale. And the bidding starts. And it's not hard to imagine... Gomer probably had her eyes closed to shield herself at the lowest moment of her degradation. And she starts to hear bidders shout numbers. She hears five shekels, I'll give five shekels. She hears eight shekels, eight shekels. And then suddenly she begins to realize one of the voices is her husband. Imagine what she's thinking. Gomer's thinking, what's he doing here? After all I've done, 10 shekels, 12 shekels, 13, 15. And it says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of a lethex of barley. And then he would come up and he would cover her nakedness and he would lead her home. She's thinking, why? Why does he still want me? He speaks tenderly to her. He says, then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And he says, and I will live with you. Now, what is he saying? Three things. Got to get this. He says, first, I want to dwell with you. I I want to have a life together. And what he's saying here in this passage is, I don't just want you as a slave. He says, I want you as my wife. I want to build a home again. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, look at the language here, because this is the second thing he says. He says, you were to live with me, but look what he says here. He says, you're not to be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. Now, this is a hard translation in the English, but what it what the phrase there not to be a prostitute or intimate with any man. What it really means is that you're to be with no man, including me. In other words, Hosea, Hosea is saying, we're not going to even sleep together. But, but obviously, don't sleep with anybody else. But he's saying, we're going to go through a period where we can't have sex. We shouldn't have sex. Why? Because there's woundedness. There's pain, and you're, you're to be with no one. Don't sleep with anybody else, but not me. But then notice what it says at the end of the verse. It says, and I will live with you. Now again, this is a hard translation in the English, but what it actually means is he's saying, I will indeed be yours and you will be mine. Now, this is a powerful thing. Because you know what he's saying? (laughs) Do you follow? It's not just that I bought you, you're mine. No, no, no. He's saying, I will be yours. He's saying, I will give myself to you. What's Hosea doing? There's a great commentary by the name of Derek Kinder, and he wrote it on Hosea, and I just loved it. And, uh, and I'll just quote him here. He's paying a price here because Kinder says there were the disloyal habits of years to be broken and the realities of personal relationship to be unhurriedly explored together. What, what Kinder is saying here, he's saying it's going to take time. And there's a lot of woundedness, but we're going to need to go through this together. So don't have sex with anybody. But but in the end, I will be yours and you will be mine. There will be healing. Now, you understand, Hosea's not doing this naive, sentimental, hey, it's all okay, I just forgive you. No, no, no. Hosea's paying a price. He's paying a price. He, Kinder goes on and he says, look at this quote. He says, he's already paid the financial price and he's probably paid paid an enormous social and cultural price when all of his friends and everyone else in society says, what, her? After she was a prostitute? You're gonna take her as your wife? What's Hosea doing here? Hosea is paying the price financially. Hosea is paying the price socially. Hosea is paying the price emotionally. Now friends, don't you see This whole idea of Hosea is an image of who God is. Let's just look at it. Let's review for a minute. Hosea is in love. God is in love. Hosea has been betrayed. God has been betrayed. Hosea pays an enormous price to bring her back and to bring healing. Would God do that? Does God Do that for you or for me? You know, Christmas is coming, (laughs) and I love Christmas. That's why I'm so excited about this series and all the things that we're going to do to celebrate a Savior, because it's a celebration. It's a remembering of the Christ, the person who is Jesus, the Christ. One of my favorite readings is from the Gospel of Matthew. It begins this way. It says, this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, what you need to know is that Matthew is writing to Jews. And he's writing to Jews because they're looking for the Christ. And Matthew is convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus is the bridegroom who would come. In fact, it's interesting because a little later in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus is asked, why don't your disciples fast? Look at what he says. He says, how can the guests of the, there it is, bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Jesus calling himself the bridegroom. I asked a question just a moment ago. Would the bridegroom, did God pay the price? Jesus goes on and he says, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and they will fast. Now, do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, I am that bridegroom and I will be taken away and they will fast and they will mourn because I'm the bridegroom who's come to die. I'm the true bridegroom. Now, do you see what's happening here from the Old Testament to the New Testament? It's as though God is looking at every human being and he's saying there is an answer to all the riddles. In Jesus Christ, God would enter the world. This is what Christmas is all about. Matthew, back to chapter one, says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you were to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, Jesus, this true bridegroom, enters into our trouble, and he buys us back. He clothes us. He covers our nakedness, and he embraces us with his righteousness. By the way, today is a baptism Sunday. You might be watching this online. Boy, I'm going to tell you, if you're interested in baptism, get yourself down here by 12, because baptism is all about this being clothed in his righteousness. We were naked, but we're being clothed. See, this idea that you see here of biblical immersion, this idea of when somebody commits themselves to Jesus and they are dunked under the water, immersed in water as a symbol of being clothed in Christ. And God says, as you're clothed in me and buried with him in baptism, you can have a new life. Now, God did this cosmically. He did the thing that Hosea did physically. The prophet Isaiah would put it this way. He'd say, surely he took up our infirmity, infirmities. He carried our, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. Why? Because Jesus, who is this Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Do you understand that? God says, do you understand exactly how much I love you? <laughs> Friends, can I, can I ask you a question here as you're just watching this right now? Do you understand Jesus as a spouse as a relationship of top priority, as a relationship of a peculiar kind of intimacy, as a relationship of life changing potency because it charts the course of everything. Or do you just know Jesus as a boss, as a king, or maybe just a shepherd Or maybe you just have a business relationship with God. It's totally transactional. God says, unless you know me as a spouse, you don't know me at all. And if you want to experience his love and his life-changing affect, I would ask you to ask him, God, show me yourself. Show me what it is to love you as a spouse. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every person worshiping this morning with us. Just asking that you would bless them right where they are, wherever they're watching. Father, we have people watching all over the valley. We have people that watch this all over the world. And no matter where they are, would you just reach in and touch them with your love and help them to understand your amazing grace. God, help each of us to see how crushed we are, how broken we are, We're like a sex addict that doesn't even realize how bad we are that we've gone into the arms of other lovers. Bring us back to you. I pray in the name of Jesus right now for every person listening that you would bring strong repentance into their life and that you would let them come to know you more and more. Just repeat this prayer after me if you want to know Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of how I have turned aside from you. Come into my life and change me. You are my savior. Your punishment on the cross is enough for me. I give now my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.